Will you agree with me this morning that we welcome the heart-shaping work of God's Spirit through His Word in these next moments? I've never done an eight or nine week series out of the life of Solomon, but next to King David, he, David's son, was probably one of the most famous kings of Israel. He wrote at least three books out of our Old Testament, and although his life doesn't end well, uh, so much in the first majority part of his life, so much goes right. And I've entitled this entire series, The God Pursuit, because it's about a young man who went after God with everything he had. And uh, today I'd like to talk about, to start us off, about embracing God moments, those moments that God has for us. Because before we pursue him, he's pursuing us, he's after us. And I want to talk about God moments and embracing those God moments this new year in our lives. And we'll start with the beginning where Saul is appointed as the next king of Israel. King David is still alive, but he's on his deathbed. And we pick up the story in verse 28 of chapter 1 of 1 Kings. Then King David said, call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. And the king then took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. As we speak in the rest of First Corinthians, 1 uh, Kings chapter 1, another one of... Uh, Another one of king's sons by a different mother is vying to be the king and already enthroning himself. And uh, instead, King David's wish was that Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, would be the next king. This sets up a number of God moments in Solomon's life that I want to look at today with you. Um, God moments. In fact, I started, I started walking through the God moments in my life uh, this past week, just in my head. And it actually is a good exercise even to write them out. I'm sure it would be faith building. I do believe that there's probably more of them than you realize. And it'll build your faith to see the number of times that God has either spoken to you or touched you with his healing power or opened a door you couldn't open door yourself. There are just all kinds of God moments in our lives. And it just is faith-building to go back and review those, even write them down. Um, but I wanted to ask the question this morning, as we look at this first chapter of First Kings, what do God moments look like, and, and when do they come? I mean, when, when do God moments actually come? Because there, there's, although we walk every day with Jesus, and if, if we know him and his spirit's with us, these God moments are, are those more occasional times. There may only be a dozen or two of them in your entire life, but there are those moments where God just reveals himself to us and does something for us. I call them God moments. And when do God moments actually begin? When do they come in our lives? And I'm asking this question because this year, I just really feel urged to encourage you to look for God moments. I, I think this is a year. You may have had a dozen God moments in your life so far, but
but I just believe in 2022, you could have another dozen more just in one year. I just thank God for the sake of what he's trying to do in our world, for the sake of people he wants you to influence. I believe that God has some God moments. I want you to stay hungry. I want you to stay faith-filled and, and just be looking, maybe like no other year, in this chaotic year with so many unknowns, let's be looking for God moments because I think God wants to show up in some new ways in our lives. And when I, when I ask the question, when do God moments come, I'm not asking it an age question. For me, my, my, the first God moment I remember was being overwhelmed by God's spirit and presence in a church service when I was sleeping on the bench. Uh, I wasn't even five years old, and the altar call started, and I woke up, and I was just weeping, and I was overwhelmed with the presence of God. That was my very first memorable God moment. That was before I was five years old. For my grandfather, who lived to 99, his God moment was kneeling down by a radio and listening to a radio preacher and giving his life to Jesus at 50 years old. So I'm not asking, it could be five, it could be 50, I'm not asking the age question, but I'm asking that what kind of life circumstances are ripe for God moments in our lives? And Solomon, the fact that Solomon even becomes a king gives us the first clue to the first answer. And, and, and that's those moments when God reverses failure in our lives. In fact, the problem with failures is we, we kind of write ourselves off. We feel like our past track record disqualifies us from God moments in the future. But I want to encourage you today, don't let your past failures write the script for your future. God is so sovereign. It's not like you mess things up so badly that God's there scratching his cosmic head saying, oh, Bradford, Bradford really backed me in a corner here now. I, I have no clue what to do now. I mean, God's never without options. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. And even you can't totally mess him up. <laughs> he can take failure and reverse it. And that's why it's amazing to me that Bathsheba is at the center of this story. We just read verse 28. Read it again. Then the King David said, call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. And then the writer brings it back to Bathsheba at the end of that paragraph. Then Bathsheba bowed down her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. Now the amazing thing about Bathsheba being such an unapologetic central figure here is that Bathsheba represents David's greatest failure. Because Bathsheba was married to a perfectly good, godly man of character who served in the Israeli army. And, and David, when she was married to somebody else, made a move on her sexually and had an affair with her and got her pregnant. And so in order to cover up his complicity with that, in the cover-up of all cover-ups, he arranged to have Bathsheba's husband murdered. And then later, later he marries the lady. Now, their first child from that affair ends up dying as a young child. They get married, David and Bathsheba, and they have a second son together, and that is King Solomon. Meanwhile, one of Solomon's brothers by another mother is out there 
saying, I deserve the throne next. And you would think that probably he does. Because, because if David had have obeyed the Lord, Solomon should not have existed. If David had kept his life holy, if David had done what he claimed to do in Psalm 119, my word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. He could have trusted the Lord for, for the for victory over that sexual temptation. And he could have, you know, he never should have gotten involved with Bathsheba in the first place. And he, if he never had sinned, Bathsheba would have still been married to Uriah and had their own family, and Solomon would have never existed, the son of David and Bathsheba. And here's our God, who knows how to throw failure into reverse. And where Solomon, if, God had, if David had obeyed God, should not have even existed, here is Solomon now being appointed the next and one of the greatest kings of Israel. This is absolutely amazing to me. And David's prayer of repentance, God gives us a great gift. For David later becomes very broken over his sin. Over his, his sin with Bathsheba, over the killing of her husband. He becomes very broken and he chronicles his repentance and his remorse in Psalm chapter 51. And sometimes I just get on my knees and I read Psalm 51 and it, it, it just, you know, when I, God, I fall so short. God, I just, forgive me. And, and, and you just make his words, your words. It's powerful to pray Psalm 51. But then he gets in verse 10 to this, to the God who reverses failures. Some of our greatest God moments are when God steps into places where we have failed. And he says, I want to restore you. Because after heartbreaking repentance, after him crying out to God in Psalm 51, saying, God, I, I get it. I, I, I have nobody to blame. I'm the one who sinned, and I've sinned against you and you alone. And would you wash me clean? Would you put truth in my inner being? Would you, would you just do something? Then he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And this is this is the story. This is the prayer of God reversing failure in our lives where we come before him and realize that in the end, my failure doesn't doom me to God never meeting me again. But rather, there's this place where God can create a clean heart in us again. Just a fact Solomon exists and is the next king. Says God says, your failure doesn't totally mess me up, but I am able to step in. You have a repentant heart. Nothing is off the table for what I can do for you in your future. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I was reading this week, and I could almost feel the cry of some of our hearts where, where we just need a fresh God encounter. And, 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 the, and, and just, God... Just, just we, we, we renew a right spirit within me. And verse 11, and don't cast me from your presence. I don't need to live without your Holy Spirit, Lord, no matter what my past has been. Don't take me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. But instead, oh, I could just see some of us praying this. I could feel it in my heart. Lord, would you just restore? Would you just restore in me? I love the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want partly because he restores my soul. He just restores. This is the God who restores. He res restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Y you know what? In the most unlikely place, you might be a candidate for a God moment. <laughs> In the very place that you think disqualifies you, right 
in the midst of your failure, unabashedly, just like Bathsheba is the middle of this story, unabashedly, God says, watch me restore. Watch me restore. And for some of us, it could be a moral failure. For others of us, it could be just a failure at our work. We didn't get that promotion we hoped to get. Uh, maybe you got fired and you deserved it, but, uh, or maybe you got fired and you didn't deserve it. But, you know, sometimes there's failure in our job. Some of us feel like failures, maybe as parents. Some of us feel like failures in, in ministry. I mean, this was the first place I really tasted deeply of failure. I was 23 years old, and God threw failure into reverse. I was studying engineering at the University of Minnesota. Some of you have heard this story numbers of times. And I took a little Bible study I was leading as an engineering student and shrunk it from 12 down to 3 and felt my calling into engineering was confirmed. <laughs> Even though I wanted to serve Jesus too. But on a Tuesday night in the middle of the fall, 1975, 23 years old, God stepped in, did something I could not account for. And God's power came on our little Bible study. We grew overnight to 65 and I'm preaching today because of what happened on a Tuesday night 45 years ago. And God took the very thing I had failed at and said, good, we got you out of the way. Now watch what I can do. Should you ever be tempted to be impressed with yourself and say, God, I've been so good that I deserve to have you write the future in my life in a wonderful way. And God just kind of holds his nose and says, give me a break. I sent Jesus to die for your sin for a reason. I put your sin on him so that by his wounds you could be healed for a reason. And your failure doesn't limit me. So when do God moments come when God throws failure in reverse? And then with what happens next in Solomon's life, we see those God moments come when quite the opposite. He gives us, he gives us favor and opportunity. When, when he just sovereignly does something that gives us favor supernaturally in other people's eyes. And he opens doors of opportunity. And he always gives us favor so that we can be of an influence for him. He always gives us favor with other people in mind. But he supernaturally gives us favor. And he honors us in other people's minds. I'm praying some of you will have favor in your kids' eyes that your children don't have for you right now as a parent. I'm praying that, that some of you will have favor in your boss's eyes. I'm praying some of you who own businesses, you're going to have favor with your clients and your customers this year. That is more than you just doing a good job. You've got to do a good job. But, but God has a way of giving us a supernatural dimension of favor. So I'm not sure Solomon thought this was going to happen when he woke up that morning. But verse 32, picking up the story in 1 Kings 1. Then King David said, after talking to Bathsheba, King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. Uh, Jehoiada. And when they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon my son mount my own mule, the king's mule, and take him down to Gihon. Gihon was the spring that was the water supply to Jerusalem and often a site of ceremonial events. Take him down to Gihon. 
And there, verse 34, have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Long live King Solomon. And then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. He woke that up that morning as somebody's kid and he went to bed that night having been handed the rulership of an entire nation. This is honor. This is favor. This is grace that God gives us. And it's supernatural. Some of my God moments, some of my God moments have been those kind of moments when God just opened doors. Sometimes my God moments have involved people that God has given my life to be door openers or to believe in me in ways I hadn't believed in myself or to be encouragers to take that step where I might be hesitant to do it. That's part of God's favor. He puts the right people around you and may he do that this year. I mentioned Dr. Wood passing, George Wood, our former pastor here who's an interim pastor at Central. He was our former general superintendent in the U.S. Assemblies of God and up to this past week, he was chair of the World Assemblies of God Fellowship. He lived an incredibly significant life. But for some reason, he and I had this unusual relationship and it was very close and he was one of those door openers in my life. When I was uh, pastoring University Church at the University of Minnesota, he he was the one who called me on behalf of the board of a church in Southern California where I ended up going and pastoring for 12 years. And, and then when I was still on the West Coast, he was the first one to call me on behalf of the board of Central Assembly when they were looking for a pastor. And I ended up coming here 18 years ago, Sandy and I. And then I'd been here five and a half years pastoring this church, and he was now general superintendent of the Assemblies of God at the Assemblies of God headquarters next door. And he had the opportunity to appoint uh, the general secretary, one of his executive team. So he came over and met me in my office here at Central. And he said, would you want to follow me again? Would you be willing to do this? And I leaned over and I groaned. And I said, do not ask me that question. And I agonized for three days because I so love pastoring here. And then I won't go into the whole spiritual backstory, but I ended up saying yes to him. And I said yes to, to Dr. Wood to go next door. And I did that for nearly 10 years. And uh, it was an experience I wouldn't trade for anything. But after I said yes to being general secretary, I looked at Dr. Wood and I said, uh, this is the third time you've seriously complicated my life. <laughs> and he just smiled and looked at me and he said, uh, I won't do it anymore. <laughs> and he kept his word. That was the last time he complicated my life. But up until last week, I got to be by his bedside just the afternoon before he died. And he was an encourager right to the end. Maybe part of God's favor is people he puts in your life that are the open doors to opportunity. I mean, Solomon gets put on the king's mule and people start crying out and shouting, long live the king of Israel. I mean, God, God just raised this guy up. Look what Peter said. This is a New Testament principle, the favor of God. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. God opposes the proud, but shows what? Favor. A little louder. God shows favor to the humble. God has a way of showing us supernatural favor. You may wake up in the morning feeling like a pretty ordinary person, 
But who knows the favor God could give you in some people's eyes by the time that day's over. Or who knows the new doors that you could be asked to step through. Some of you have been writing. Who knows the publisher that could call you this week. Some of you have just been faithfully serving, just going on and on. Who knows the promotion you could get. Who knows how, how supernaturally the way people look at you starts to change. This is when God gives you his favor. And God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so Peter goes on to say, so what should we do? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Don't self-promote and don't melt down in insecurity. Just humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God has a due time. I just feel like there's a due time in 2022. I'm not just blowing smoke here. I'm not just saying that. I just believe that this year there's going to be some God moments and God encounters. And, and some of them involve making good out of past failure. But some of it's just going to be involved God opening new doors for you. And for the sake of our world that desperately needs your godly influence, may he give you favor that you've never had before. May you students have favor in your, in your teacher's eyes. May you start getting A's instead of B's. I mean, may, may you just have favor everywhere. May people start noticing you. May your influence, therefore, grow and expand for Christ. And I think when Peter says, says humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may exalt you in due time, I think he's saying three things. And I just put these three statements on the screen quickly. First of all, Stay humble in your motivations. Stay humble in your motivations. Stay faithful with what God has put in your hand. And stay open to divine favor and to new opportunities. I mean, really stay open with faith to those things. That, that, that first one, humble with your motivations. You know, my operational definition of humility lately the last couple of years, has been, uh, and you won't find this in a book, it's just the way I've come to understand it. Um, I think humility is an accurate assessment of yourself. It's not putting yourself down, and it's not kind of promoting yourself either. It's just being you and being faithful. It's an accurate assessment of yourself, but without needing to be the center of attention. So you do things not because you want the spotlight. You do things not because you have a need to be needed. You don't do things for you. That, that's being humble in your motivations. You just, you, you just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You say, God, let me get on with it. And then you do number two. Whatever God's put in your hand, whatever God's put in your hand, just be faithful with it. Jesus taught this. He said, if you're faithful with what I've already given you, I'll give you more. I just believe if you're faithful with God, what God's already put in your hand, he'll give you more. I mean, I remember in California, stacking chairs one day after a meeting, and this young guy in his 20s, he said, he said well, I'm not stacking chairs because God's called me to be an international evangelist. I go, oh, good luck with that. You're not going to get to international anything if you're not willing to be faithful with God, what God's put in your hand today. Just serve, man. Gut it up and serve. And stop being so cocky about this. You know, sometimes, oh, what God's put in my hand today is not what I hope, it's not what I think God's really called me to. But you stay faithful with what he's put in your hand today, and he knows how to give you more. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, because he knows how to then to lift you up. And stay with faith, authentically open to 
divine favor. Favor doesn't op operate in a vacuum. You do your part. You stay faithful. I mean, if you're sloppy and uncaring and careless, it, it, you know, probably God won't put his fa favor on you. But, but if, you're, if you're faithful to what God's given you, I just want to encourage you to stay open for favor of a supernatural level on your life and for open doors that you could never open yourself for the sake of people that need your influence in Christ. Let's believe for that. Are you with me on that? Okay. And then there's one last one. And this is the Spirit's fullness when He pours His Spirit on us. You might say the God moments in our lives come where there's failure and favor and fullness. When He reverses failure and He imparts favor and He pours out His fullness on our lives. And, and this is about the Holy Spirit being poured out. I would say a whole set of my God encounters were similar to what I experienced before I was five years old. When I just sensed the overwhelming presence of God coming on me. And, uh, and then when I met Jesus personally, when I finally made my own decision, eight years old, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at 14 years, I mean, these moments of God coming had a God, and, and like before I was five, I still weep when I'm in the presence of God. I cried this morning again in worship. I mean, I mean, I, I, I just always want to, I just need him. I just want to stay sensitive to his presence. And so verse 38, here's where that comes in of First Kings 1. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Carathites and the Pelathites and the mosquito bites all went down. Everybody, everybody was there because Solomon was going to be the new king. And, and they had Solomon mount King David's mule, and they escorted him to the spring of Gihon. And Zadok, the priest, get this, took the horn of oil from the sacred temple, and he took that anointing oil and anointed Solomon. And they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. Now, we have anointing oil we use when we pray for people. It's a little vial. Of olive oil, just put a little on your finger, put a dab on people's foreheads. But back then, they didn't have a little vial. They had a whole horn, a whole hair, and, and it wasn't a little dab will do you. It was bloop, bloop, bloop. I mean, they just poured that oil over you. And it was always a symbol of this Holy Spirit being poured on you for a specific purpose. And talk about a God moment you want to treasure when God, and I want more of those God moments this year. For God just pours his Holy Spirit on us. This happened to Solomon's dad when he was first anointed by the prophet Samuel. It's there in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, get this, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's a God moment I want when God just pours his spirit upon us. And Jesus used that same anointing language when he said to his followers, don't leave Jerusalem until I've baptized you in the power of my Holy Spirit. For he says in verse 8 of Acts 1, but you, Jesus' words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's anointing language. It's saying, oh God, come. I'm hungry for God's spirit. 
to come. It's our first core value as a church. And it's not just something to put on a wall. But I don't know. I, I just need the kind of God who can, who can even make something good out of my mistakes and my failures. I need the kind of God who can give me favor that I don't, I don't have the charisma or the talent to have myself. And I just need a God who will say, again, I'll pour my spirit upon your life. As you know, Sandy and I have a grandson now. He's a year old, a little over a year. And he's now able to eat more than baby food. And so my daughter, on the tray in his high chair, will put like real food. He eats, believe it or not, he loves to eat, this kid. He loves to eat, and he's so entertaining to watch him eat. And he literally eats a whole avocado every day. He's a year old. And a whole banana every day, and a whole everything else you've put on that tray every day. And the guy, he loves to eat so much. The little packs, he, I mean, he's like ambidextrous. Yeah, he can't use a spoon yet, but... He eats with his fists, and, and he's ambidextrous, and so he's got both hands going at the same time. With one fist, he's stuffing food in his mouth, and with the other, at the same time, he's grabbing up more food off the tray, and he's just funny. He's just like two-fisted hunger. I mean, he loves to eat, and then he stops and goes, hmm, 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 and then he keeps eating, just shoveling that food, two-fisted, nonstop. So a few weeks ago when I was in Dallas... I bought him his first Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets box. We broke those chicken nuggets up. He started putting those in his mouth. And he looked at me like, Grandpa, I think you just changed my world. <laughs> and he starts shoveling that stuff in. I mean, two-fisted fast as he could go. Chicken McNuggets from Chick-fil-A. He ate the whole box. I can't get that picture out of my head this weekend. God, double-fisted, we're so hungry. I can't get enough for you. I can't get enough for your spirit. I can't give enough of your blessing. I just want your presence more and more. I need power more and more. I just can't get enough of you, and I see us spiritually just double-fisting it this year, getting more and more and more of you, Lord. You who reverses failures, you who imparts favor, but you who pours your spirit upon us. What more could we have? Hallelujah. Let that anointing oil flow over us today, Heavenly Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If we don't know you, Lord, as our Lord and Savior, whether we're in this room or watching online, I pray that we'll have a God encounter with you today. I pray that you will, you will give us a God moment as we open our hearts to you, oh God, today, and forgive our sin and make us new and create in us a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within us like David prayed. Oh God, do this. And we pray as that anointing oil poured over David and the Spirit of God was upon him with power from that moment on. As the anointing oil poured over Solomon and became one of the next greatest kings of Israel, I pray that the anointing oil of your Spirit will pour upon us in Jesus' name. For we hunger for your Spirit. We hunger for your presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah.